and welcome to Legal Cut Pro, the Canadian Entertainment Law Podcast. My name is Michelle Molyneux. And I'm Greg Pang. Today's podcast is going to be an introduction to music licensing. But first, we've got our legal disclaimer and shout out to our sponsor. Yes, our legal disclaimer. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. We are not providing you with legal advice and nothing we say on this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you require legal advice or counsel, please seek the services of a lawyer. And this podcast is brought to you by Ampia and its professional development team. Special thanks to Jane Toogood, our audio editor. You can find her on Instagram at JJ underscore two. That's double O good. Excellent. All right. So let's just get right into it, Michelle. Well, actually, maybe before we get right into it, there's a little bit of a change from the last time that listeners heard us record. I am still in Edmonton, but Michelle has fled to Vancouver. Yeah, I'm close to the ocean. It's beautiful. <laughs> Excellent. So how, how are things going out there? It's good. It's been good. I've been auditioning and taking a bunch of classes. So it's been really fun to be immersed in the community out here. Oh, excellent. Oh, glad that's working out well for you. Here, it's uh, I'm chugging along as, as per usual, getting ready for Banff, the Banff World Media Festival. I think that's uh, the, the full title there. And uh, yeah, yeah. So just, uh, just moving along. That's awesome. I wish I could be there this weekend. It sounds like it'll be really good. So Greg, do you want to maybe kind of introduce what, because uh, this is going to be a, a three-episode kind of mini-series, I guess? Yeah, yeah. So this is our first of three planned episodes on music licensing, all in the context of licensing music for an audiovisual work such as a film or television production. The first episode, this episode, we're going to more discuss the whys of music licensing, the law behind the rights that you have to acquire for various uses of music that film producers want to incorporate into their projects. First principles is episode one. Episode two, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into licensing and answer or address more of the hows of music licensing. And hopefully, number three, we will have an interview lined up. And so far, we have a tentative yes for a very experienced music supervisor to discuss the process in, or that kind of role has to go through in obtaining the rights and, and clearing music for a show. So that's, uh, that's one, two, and three. And uh, we're really excited to you know, do this first one now. Awesome. Okay, so, but before we dive into all of this law stuff, Greg, you recently introduced me to the most hilarious show ever. Uh, it's uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Netflix. So thank you for the recommendation. I'm really enjoying it. Aside from being hilarious, great for Netflix and chill, there is a sticky entertainment law issue that arose in one of the episodes. So maybe you want to kind of share that with the listeners. Maybe not Netflix and chill, Michelle. Well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm not, uh, I, I've only heard, but maybe we have to confirm by a little... Uh, internet search, maybe just because uh, I'm, I'm not all up to date in my, my lingo, but I had thought that the term Netflix and chill meant it was like code word, like kind of text code word for uh, having sex or something like that. Oh, um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway, so maybe, maybe instead of Netflix and chilling, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's 
let's chill out and watch Netflix. Yes. Or, great yes. for chilling out and watching Netflix. Yes, that, that's what my intention was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. Anyway, and yeah. why are we talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine and music <laughs> licensing? One of my favorite cold opens from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I think this is, uh, I, I forgot the actual episode title, but it was a setup where Jake, one of the police officers and uh, characters on the show, had a whole bunch of perpetrators lined up in um, what, what, what's a, uh, I, I even forget what the term is. Do you know what that term is? You know, they have them all in that clip where they have them all in that lineup. Oh, There's yeah, I think it's just a police lineup. Police line. Okay. Yeah. Uh, perpetrators where you have an eyewitness would identify who is the person that uh, she saw who committed the crime. In this particular clip, Jake has each of the perpetrators sing a line to Backstreet Boys' I Want It That Way song. And what's interesting about and why we're talking about this in terms of music license, because there was a Washington Post article that came out about this song and Brooklyn Nine-Nine's use of it and how it was very expensive to license the song one, and it was even more expensive to license the song to sing their own rendition of it and how it would have been cheaper to license and play the recording, say like a 20 second recording or whatever of a rendition actually sung and recorded with the Backstreet Boys would have been cheaper than licensing it to sing their own essential version of it in this clip. So yeah, so that's the, I guess the long and short, I'm probably not doing it much justice, but uh, we, we do have a clip of it, and you want to talk about that, Michelle? Sure, yeah. If you want to see the clip of the I Want It That Way episode, I don't know the episode title, they do have the clip posted on the Brooklyn Nine-Nine YouTube. The clip itself is called Jake Makes the Criminals Sing, and the comedic timing is honestly brilliant if you want to check out the clip. We've posted a link in the show notes, so it'll be easier for you to get to. But I guess we need to talk about the law stuff now. <laughs> of course, of course. Music licensing. Well, with respect uh, to music licensing, we're now going to turn to our first principle of music licensing. So, Michelle, you want to start us out? What is a music license? Yeah. Or what is a license? Yeah. So, in general, a license is just permission to do something. So, you have your driver's license gives you permission to drive. So, in the context of music licensing, a music license is a contract that allows you to use a piece of music. Exactly. And, you know, as a bit of a fun fact, spelling of license, L-I-C-E-N-S-E versus L-I-C-E-N-C-E is the verb versus the noun. And if I'm wrong, please at me and uh, correct me, anyone who knows better than uh, me on uh, this particular fact. I trust you on this one, Greg. Oh, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> With that fun fact out of the way, why do we need a music license? So under copyright law, the owner of a musical work has the sole right to produce, reproduce, perform, publish, or rent out their musical work. One thing we're not going to talk about here is the fairness of copyright law and whether it should exist at all in terms of why are we even asking permission, for example, to use music? Why isn't this, why aren't we free to just share and use anybody's music that's posted online? That's a topic for another day. If you want to watch something that's pretty compelling on that kind of topic, there's a, I think it's a, probably about 10 years old now, there's a documentary called Rip a Music Manifesto by Brett Gaylor, which is described by McLean's Magazine as, quote, a frontal assault on how corporate culture is using copyright law to muzzle freedom of expression, unquote. 
Brett Gaylor, uh, I, I know Brett. Well, I, I knew Brett. I haven't had contact with him for a long time, but we were both interns at the well, with the under the CFTPA's um, internship program. I, I believe that's what it was called uh, way way back. And if you're interested in exploring that kind of topic of the fairness of copyright, then please um, go check out Remix Manifesto. But again, we're not going to talk about policy here. We're just going to talk about state of the law, not whether or not copyright law is fair or not. That sounds good. Yeah, that'd be, yeah, right. that'd be a very big issue to cover. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And definitely we can record an entire episode on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess just to kind of introduce the listeners to kind of a little bit of copyright law, there are generally two types of rights holders that we need to be concerned about when we're talking about licensing existing recordings of music. So there's the copyright in the musical composition, and then there's also copyright in the sound recording. Mm -hmm. Usually the author of a song will typically hold the rights to the musical composition, so that's going to be your composer, your lyricist, might also be referred to as a songwriter. Then you have the maker of the song. And this can sometimes be a recording company, say, for example, who is paying for the recording to be made. And that is the party that holds the copyright to the sound recording. Excellent. A oh, great summary there, Michelle. And with that being said, what kind of permissions do you need from these different types of rights holders? And again, this is for existing recordings of existing musical works that are not in the public domain for use in a, um, a film or television project. So the master, you need a master license for that sound recording from that rights holder who holds the rights, the copyright to the sound recording. And you need a synchronization license for the underlying music, the musical composition. So, sorry to interrupt you, Greg, no uh, just to say, so those are two distinct types of licenses then that a person would need, or Absolutely. production company rather. Absolutely, yeah, you need, those are related, of course, because they are rights to that song, but that particular recording of that song. So they are distinct but related uh, licenses that you, you need. And with the master use license, this is the right to use and record that particular recording of the song. Okay, so that particular recording, and I, for, I forget what there's a equivalent of an ISBN number that's assigned to a song. So it's very particular to that particular recording. And it relates to the copyright of the song that is distinct, as we mentioned, from the copyright in the underlying music. And I mentioned the synchronization license or sometimes or oftentimes referred to as the sync license. It's the right to synchronize that music in timed relation with the audiovisual work being the, the film and the copyright holders in that underlying music, as Michelle, you mentioned, uh, could be the composers, song, uh, songwriters, or the, the publishers if those artists have assigned their rights to the publishers themselves. Those are the rights holders that have the right to grant that particular license, the sync license. And there could be multiple rights holders there. And sometimes as a production company, you have to chase after perhaps four or five or, or even more rights holders that all have contributed, uh, all have rights to the, the synchronization, the underlying copyright to that song itself. So whether you're dealing with a master use license or a sync license, your license is probably going to detail things such as price, duration, or term of the permission to use the song, the amount of the song to be used, the territory it'll be used in, whether the uh, production company is able to edit or change the song at all. We will talk a little bit more in um, some of our future episodes about 
exact details of music licenses, but I thought I would just kind of give a little bit of an outline there of, of some of the considerations. Exactly. And oftentimes the master use and sync license uh, look relatively uh, similar, except when you read the actual rights that are granted, it is clear that one is granting the rights to record that particular recording, and one is granting uh, the rights to use the underlying musical composition itself. So that's, once again, the sync and master license are used for using existing recordings of existing music under copyright. But what about new renditions? Going back again to our discussion about the episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that cold open where Jake had the perpetrators sing their own version, essentially, of I Want It That Way. What about that kind of situation? Well, in that kind of situation for new renditions to be used in your film project, you're no longer seeking a master use license because you're not asking for permission to record a particular recording. You are making your own recording. What you need, though, is a license, in a sync license, to be able to still use that underlying music and to perform your own version of that music. And interestingly, as we discussed the with Brooklyn Nine-Nine and I Want It That Way, for, for some reason, that right to make your own rendition of their, their own rendition of I Want It That Way, have the perpetrators sing their own rendition of it, was more expensive than simply licensing use of the master of the existing version sung by the Backstreet Boys. That, that is uh, the licensing in a real short nutshell for new renditions. But what about wholly original music? What if you want to write original music and have it recorded specifically for your film project? Well, that's when you're getting into hiring a composer to write music and you'll be as a production company recording that music. It really depends on your production on what, whether, and whether uh, that makes sense for your production to hire a composer to compose and record wholly original music for your film. And we'll get a little bit more into composer agreements in the next episode. We were able to find some examples online of both uh, music sync licenses and music master use license agreements. So if you go online to the Canadian Independent Film and Video Fund website, and we put the link up in our show notes, you can check out those licenses and get a feel for them. Uh, quick note though, we don't endorse the forms or the documents on that website in any way. This link is only provided to give you examples of the licenses along with other contracts on their website. So this is just, again, a little legal disclaimer. Not, not that we don't like the CIFVF, but it's one of those things that we're only pointing these out. It's a third-party website to a form which neither of us has vetted, but at least just for example purposes of if you've never seen a master use or sync license before, then that is something that is publicly posted by the CIFVF for public consumption. And you can have a look at those if you choose to do so. But uh, again, yeah, as Michelle said, we don't, we don't endorse the, or, or um, particularly guarantee those forms will work for you. Definitely. Should we shift gears to a little bit more of the, the practical side of things? Sure thing. Go ahead. All right. So in general, it's best to get your license in place before you lock the music to picture. Otherwise, you are at risk of getting sued or you may have to end up unlocking the picture and going back in and replacing the song at a later date. Sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> and that, yeah, that sounds like a nightmare and sounds very, very expensive. 
<laughs> and moving on, though, uh, about the master use and sync rights. So one of the common misunderstandings, if you're new to the world of music licensing, is that you can't simply just get a SOCAN license for using music in your film. And if you're unfamiliar with SOCAN, Society of Composers, Authors, and Music Publishers of Canada, with the equivalent in the United States being ASCAP or BMI, they are the collective society that is responsible for uh, collecting and disbursement of royalties to artists uh, for the performing rights in relation to their music. Master use and sync rights are not, they are related but distinct from the performing rights. And those are freely negotiable rights where you have to go to the rights holder themselves, whether it's you know Cobalt Music, EMI, what, whatever, uh, those kind of publishers, and you have to ask permission and negotiate the rates with them to license this music. So there is no single collective society that, that you can just go to and pay some standard uh, tariff rates for the rights to use um, a, a musical work, an existing musical work, in your in your film and this is the same as and i've had the question before you know what about the cmrra that's the canadian musical reproduction rights agency the cmrra deals with mechanical rights to reproduce recordings of music now what we're doing with a master use license is somewhat similar you know we are making a reproduction of it we're recording it but it's not the same as a mechanical license that's licensed from the cmrra which is another collective society so I just want to point that out that we need to, or you need to, as a film producer, you need to go directly to the publishers, the rights holders, and negotiate master use and sync licenses for your film. And generally that can be where the challenge comes in of how the heck are you going to find these rights holders? Mm -hmm. So one approach is you can try, if it's a song that is connected with a record label, you can try reaching out to the record label. Uh, you can also try reaching out to SOCAN if you have the name of the song and the songwriter. SOCAN will often provide you with the contact information or they could refer you to another right society that's connected to the song. So that's sort of, I guess, more traditional path. Uh, now, with the way online resources are going, you can also try checking sites like Amazon, iTunes, Wikipedia, and those sites might actually have a breakdown of all the rights holders of the song. So you can sort of find the rights holders that way as well. Uh, one kind of, I guess not really a tip, but more of a challenge. Older recordings might require more work to locate the rights because rights owners can often change hands over the course of many years. So if you're looking at an older song, you're probably looking at a little bit more work in tracking down the rights holder for that. Exactly. Thanks, Michelle. And now we're going to move on to our next point is... Why is it even important to get a music license? Well, if you don't get a license, you are at risk of being sued and at being sued from the person who does have the rights to the song. And lawsuits are not very fun, are they? I don't recommend them. <laughs> <laughs> so best stay away from lawsuits. And it's also unlikely that your e and will cover you if you, especially if you deliberately decide not to get the proper licenses uh, errors and, and we'll have another uh, we have another episode topic planned for errors and admissions in particular but 
what insurance, uh, the E&O insurance will re- often require as proof of proper licenses, or at least a statement to say, yes, we have obtained all the uh, appropriate, uh, you know, required licenses to use the, the, the music that's in this film. And if you represent that wrong, then you could be in a little bit of trouble. Definitely. And, you know, the, the insurer, if you have a claim, then you might be at risk of the claim being denied. And that can get really expensive. Yeah. So do the right thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> get your licenses. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There are people who can help out with these things. Uh, if, if your budget for your film can afford to do it. Those kind of people, if you can afford them, experienced music supervisors can make your life a lot easier to obtain the musical rights that you need for your film. Yeah, it definitely takes off a lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> exactly. So I guess that, that sort of wraps up the substantive part of this episode. In the upcoming episodes, we're going to look a little bit more into how to negotiate music licenses, cautions when you're dealing with stock music, important considerations to look out for in music licensing agreements, as well as how to prepare and submit cue sheets, because that's also something that's very important. Cue sheets? Have you dealt with cue sheets before, Michelle? I have. (laughs) You have. I have not. Well, I've seen them, but I haven't prepared and submitted them. So that'll be interesting. They were a lot more work than I anticipated. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Let's get to our feedback. And we are very excited because the first time we have some feedback for our little podcast. This is really exciting. Please keep the feedback coming. We love it. Yes. Uh, The first one I have here is Amanda Proudfoot on Instagram writes, as a performer who dances in public places, festivals or busking using purchased music are there things we need to consider is the initial purchase of the music enough or is additional licensing required slash advised do the rules change if you perform as a hobby or if you earn a living doing it so definitely performance rights are engaged in this situation so you would need a SOCAM license in order to do this and even if it's a hobby you still need a license Often the venue that you might be performing in, they may have a SOCAN license. So your performance may fall under that license. But in general, that's probably a conversation you're going to want to have with the venue to make sure that someone does have a proper license to be performing that music. Exactly. Uh, I haven't dealt with venues. Uh, you know, I don't have much experience in terms of dealing with uh, live events uh, as, a, as a lawyer uh, for um, music licensing. But my understanding is exactly that, is that uh, oftentimes the, the venue would collect and remit uh, SOCAN fees and they would build that into their uh, revenue model uh, with the with the performer or w- with whatever events going on there that um, they would but they would be responsible and liable for remitting those uh, SOCAN royalties for uh, public performance of uh, recorded music so the, the lesson in the end is that and uh, to answer Amanda's uh, uh, question or in further detail uh, the, uh, the answer to Amanda's question is that no the initial purchase of the music is not enough you engage those performance rights if you are publicly performing that music, whether it is a hobby or uh, earning a living doing it. I wonder what kind of dancing Amanda does. <laughs> she does. I, I know Amanda. So she, they, she does belly dancing. Oh, At least that's, that's, one of, that's one of the things. I, I'm not sure she does other dancing, but I know that's one of the th- types of dancing she does. Ooh, that's so cool. Okay, I'm going to need to check out her Instagram now. <laughs> yeah, yeah she, I, I think she posts some pictures of uh, the, the outfits that they have, and they're, they're pretty cool. Cool. So, yeah, yeah. All right. So I think we're getting, uh, we should wrap this up. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess that, that's all we've got. That's all for today, folks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, just a reminder, you can find Greg. He's Greg at LegalCutPro.com, and he's on Twitter at PsychLaw, uh, and that's spelled C-Y-C-L-A-W. And you can reach me on email, Michelle at LegalCutPro.com, or on Instagram at Michelle Molyneux. And you can find us on Instagram as well at LegalCutPro. Feel free to send us any of your music licensing questions. Uh, hopefully there will be enough of a gap between this and uh, our next episode that you can uh, send us some of your questions or we can address it in a future episode if we can't address it in that one. Send us any other feedback, please, uh, either email, social media, uh, or whatever choice of uh, communications you prefer where you can reach us. What else? Uh, oh, yes. Right, right, right. Something else exciting that I don't think we have mentioned yet. We have music. We have some music for our intro and outro of our podcast. So special thanks uh, to yourself, Michelle, Michelle <laughs> Molyneux, and Dr. Yay! Octavo. Is it Dr. Octavo or Octavo? Octavo. Yes. Just Say Go, the Dr. Octavo Mendacity mix is courtesy of Dr. Octavo and Michelle Molyneux. So thank you very much. Yay. Well, thank you. And I guess we should probably finish up our licensing agreement for that. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we are. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, and this should be an entire episode in itself is our own licensing of Michelle's song for this podcast. And that's another, that's something we haven't addressed at all in this episode, but there are analogous, but a, a little bit of different consideration uh, for licensing a song for a podcast over and above or not over and above um, as opposed to licensing a song for a film or television production project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And we've been so busy prepping for this episode that we haven't finished our licensing. <laughs> so essentially we have a tentative license in place where Michelle has agreed that we can use part of her song and we are formalizing that license as we speak. Now, this is not normally, uh, probably not the best practice for film to- Don't do this it. at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, do as we say, do not do as we do. Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, not have the song fully licensed yet before it is either distributed, released, or broadcast. We, of course, are familiar negotiating parties, so we have a little more confidence that there won't be a big legal fallout from this. So, uh, so yeah, again, <laughs> not the best practice, exactly what we're doing, but I am confident that it will work out in the end. Right, Michelle? I promise I won't sue you, Greg. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, that's, is that legally binding now, Nat, now that you said that recorded on the podcast? Yeah, it's evidence. There's evidence. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thanks for All listening, right. everybody. Thank you. See you next time. Hello, and welcome to Legal Cut Pro, the Canadian... Start again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Five. Oh, no. Four. Okay, five, four.